Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon features founding pastor Ken Warline and was recorded on Sunday, August 21st, 2022. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You can follow us on Instagram at FaithBridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for FaithBridge Live, our online service at faithbridge.org live. Here's Ken. Glad that you're here. Come on in. Come on in. Welcome, everybody, uh, on this uh, sort of second back-to-school Sunday of our year. All the different schools starting at all the different times this month. So I just want to say welcome. Welcome if you're online. Welcome if you're here in the live service. Welcome if you're over in communion. And I just want to say, because sometimes people who are kind of new are like, so what is that communion service? What's going on? Let me explain. Some people like to worship God loud and high sensory. Lots of lights, lots of sound. That happens in this room. Some people like it a little bit softer, a little bit lower sensory. Um, maybe a little bit more elbow room to spread out, not quite so packed, maybe sing a few more hymns in the song mix as well, and have the Lord's Supper every Sunday. That's what's happening in a room that looks just like this room on the opposite side of this wall, and that's what we call our communion venue. We're hooked together by video for the sermon portion, though, so it's delivered live in this room and on a big screen on that side as well. So you can take your choice any which way feels best for you. So now you know what the communion venue is if you didn't quite understand what we're talking about there. So today we're continuing our journey through Luke. We're doing it the whole year, our year-long journey. We're going to go backwards. We're going backwards to Luke chapter 8 today. So uh, take a Bible, the ushers have them, and they'll pass them out to you if you'll wave at them, or you can get your device and go to Luke chapter 8. Why are we going backwards? I'll tell you why we're going backwards, because this summer when I was sort of doing a, 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 a leaf through and sort of updating the chart, I realized somehow we skipped a very important passage, and that's the passage that I want us to look at, Luke chapter 8. While you're turning there, I'll tell you this, I learned a lesson on January 15th. 2015 that I will never forget. And that is, some things aren't in reality how they appear to be on the surface. On the morning of January 15th, 2015, I woke up, got showered, shaved, dressed, looking as good as a bald guy can look. And I felt good, and little did I know, I was not good at all through a series of no less than a dozen divine providences that I don't have time to outline today. That evening, I came back into full consciousness hearing the voice of Dr. Stuart Solomon, my new cardiologist of that day, who said, Mr. Werlein, you had 99.9% blockage in your LAD artery. They don't call it a widow maker for nothing. It was going to make a widow of your wife. Tonight you were going to have a massive coronary. But we got in there first. And you're going to be fine. The shocker for me in all of it, people ask, well, did you feel terrible and now you feel great? And I'm like, no, 
that's the weird thing. I thought I was fine. And ever since then, every January, I have what they call a nuclear stress test. Why? Because sometimes things aren't in reality how they appear to be on the surface. And so we check every year to see exactly how's everything looking on the inside. Now I tell you that because Jesus in chapter eight of Luke is going to be sharing a similar thought with his disciples. Sometimes things aren't exactly how they appear on the surface, not down in reality. Here's the context of chapter eight in Luke. Jesus by now has swelling crowds. Hundreds of people, thousands are showing up wherever he's going. There's big crowds. He's doing miracles. He's, he's sometimes throwing in free lunch, fish and chips for people. He's, he's, uh, he preaches fantastic. I mean, if anybody had the it factor, Jesus has the it factor. And the disciples, they're just so jazzed by the whole thing. You can just see them going, Jesus, look how many people are here today. This is amazing. They love you, Jesus. And he's not so jazzed by the whole thing. Instead, he says, nah, not if you could see beneath the surface. See, I can see into their hearts. Spiritual hearts we're talking about here, of course. And they're not all really with us, gentlemen. They're here for the fun, the excitement, the miracles, the free food. But they're not really they're not looking for a savior. They don't want a new king. They just want a blessing. They just want a blesser. That's what they want. They'll be gone tomorrow, though. Many of them will be. Because they have no deep desire to follow. And to illustrate this, he had just told them a parable. It's the first time he ever told a parable. And you know this is an important parable because it shows up in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And there's not but a few that show up in all the Gospels. So clearly it landed on these guys and made an impact. So I want to go back and I want to look at the parable and then we'll talk more about it. Here's what he said in chapter 4. Eight, verse four. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and it grew up and it withered. Because it had no moisture. Some fell on the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And then he said, after he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, hear this. Boom. Mic drop. End of sermon. Let's bow for closing prayer. And at this point, 
The disciples run out. They're like, whoa, time out, time, cut, cut. <laughs> Jesus, if you're trying to thin the crowd, you just made some good progress. Some of those people are headed for the parking lot. I don't think they understood. Come to think of it, I don't think we understand. What in the world was that? What were you just telling to us? It's a parable. What's a parable? A parable is a little made-up story used to illustrate, to bring to life a truth that you need to lodge in people's heads. The thing about a parable is, if you want to get it, you'll move in and you'll start to get it. You'll find out, you'll ask. If you don't, it serves as a little bit of a sifter. And Jesus in essence says, I did it on purpose, guys. Because those who don't wanna figure it out, at least not yet, they're already headed to the parking lots, but others who also couldn't figure it out. What is that noise? It's raining outside. I see what's going on. It's like, what in the world? All right. But others, sorry, a little ADHD there. So let's come back to it here now. Um, <laughs> and so, but others, he said, like you 12, you couldn't figure it out, but look at you, you're coming towards me because you want to get it. And that's why I love you. Your hearts are so good. And so now I'm going to explain it to you. Here it is. In verse 11, the seed, he said, is the word of God. The seed never changes in the story. The seed is the constant in the whole story. The sower is the sower. Sower is the same sower in the whole story. It's the four soils. Those are the variables. Those are the things that change because they're referring to the heart. They're referring to the soul, to the openness of the soil to take in the seed of the gospel. And so in verse 12, he says, the seeds that fell along the path are those who've heard. And then the devil comes and takes it away from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And then the seeds on the rock, they're the ones who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but they have no rooting. And so they believe for a while, and then at a time of testing, they fall away. And as for the seeds that fall among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. And as for that in the good soil, they're those who, hearing the word, hold fast to it in honest and good-heartedness. And they bear fruit with patience. Jesus says, okay, guys, bottom line is, all these people that you're so excited about out there, they all look alike on the surface. But trust me, I can see through to the heart about mm, one in four are really with us. Now, what I want to do is I want to talk about these four a little bit more in depth. And as we do, I want you to take, as it were, a little heart test yourself and ask the Lord to search your heart even as we're talking and say, okay, which heart characterizes my life the garden of my soul. 
So let's look at it. The first one is the unresponsive hard heart. That's the one he comes to in verse 12. Now, understand that back then, farmers, they would sling a big bag of seed over their shoulders, and then they would just walk through the fields broadcasting the seeds, just throwing them here and throwing them there. And farmlands over in the Holy Land were nowhere near as expansive as what we see in Texas. And, well, good grief, you could put 30 Israels in Texas. That's how big Texas is or how small Israel is. And so farmlands were like 25 to 30 feet wide, separated by a little walking path that was called a wayside. And that's where they would walk in between the farms. And so some of the seed would fall onto the wayside. Or if it didn't fall onto the wayside, the seed might blow by the wind over to the wayside. And Jesus is saying, okay, that's the first seed. It hits that wayside, but that's a hard path. It's been baked down by the sun, trampled on the, on the foot. And, and, and when the seed lands on that heart, it's just like the devil swoops in like an owl, hunting its prey and just whoop, flies off with the seed. The seed never has a chance to get into the heart. Sometimes people's hearts are hard. I don't know, maybe because of Pride. You don't have to be quite as successful as Elon Musk to be proud and to feel like, you know, I kind of got this world by the tail. I got everything I want, everything I need. I don't need God. Sometimes hearts are hard because of pride. Sometimes hearts are hard because of cynicism, skepticism. Maybe because someone grew up in a home with a stepfather or some relative that, that professed to be a believer, and yet that person grew up knowing how abusive it was in his home or her home. And somewhere along the way, their heart got hard and said, if that's what being a Christian is about, I don't have a darn thing to do with it. That can make a hard heart. Sometimes hearts grow hard just out of... Um, I don't know, a mix of familiarity and ignorance. And by ignorance, I don't mean stupidity. I just mean a lack of information. That's how it was with a man that I met some years ago. I met him the morning after his wife had died. And I would do her funeral. And soon after, uh, I, I said to him, would you care to have coffee? I figured it was the least I could do. So he said, yes, I would like that. So we went and had coffee the next day at Starbucks. And... and I said to him, well, I'm so sorry about your loss, and, but I'm, I'm curious, how are you doing, how's your soul? How's the state of your soul? And I remember he looked at me like a deer in headlights, said, I, I, don't, even, I don't even know what that means. It's like, okay, bad question. How about this? Do, have you ever felt God's presence close to you? In your life? He said, no, never. You ever gone to church? He said, well, a few times we would go, what's that place called? Ah. We'd light the candles. You went at Christmas. Yeah, that's it. We'd go at Christmas and we'd light the candles. I could always look around and tell it was very meaningful to them, but I, I, never, got, I never understood. I could not figure out what are we doing this for? which said to me, oh, wow, 
Every time a seed has fallen on your heart, it's like the devil just swooped in and plucked it. It never had a chance to get in. You just don't even understand. And so I said, hey, this was really nice, at least for me. I hope it was for you. Would you want to have coffee next week? Yes, I would. So we went back and we had coffee the next week. And then we had coffee the next week. And we had coffee the next week. Because I noticed something. I noticed that I'd found a crack in that hard heart. And I remember saying to the Lord, I'm going to have coffee as many times as it takes. Now, I can't convert them, Lord. You're the one who does the change. But I'm going to work this crack and I'm going to get the seeds in there while he's open. He died 13 months ago in July. But he did not die with a hard heart. He died with a soft heart. <laughs> I think it's about the 30th time we met up at Starbucks. And he walked in and he had a peaceful smile on his I said, Aubrey, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing well. He said, and I, I want to tell you, I'm ready. I said, what are you ready for? He said, well, I'm ready to cross that bridge that you draw out on the napkin every time we, <laughs> we get together. I said, oh, really? He said, yep, I'm ready. I've thought about it a lot. He said, and, and I get it. I said, well, tell me, what do you get? He said, well, I, I think I get it. I think I understand that it's not about what we do to please God but that God loved us so much that he gave his son and he's the one who could live the perfect life. Even though we try, we can't do that. But he could do it. And that's why he was qualified then to go to the cross and to die for my sins as my substitute. And then on the third day, he rose and he conquered death. And that's what Easter is about. I said, that's right, Aubrey. <laughs> and he said, and if you connect yourself to him by faith, then we too shall rise. I said, you got it. You've got it. We prayed and he would grow on and in his faith and his life would be bear fruit. People noticed around here, something's changed in that man. Oh, yeah. It was great and fun to watch. I share that simply because I bet some of you have a, a hard-hearted person in your life. Don't give up on them. All you need is a crack. Just pray that God will keep your eyes attentive. You look for the crack in that hard ground. And you'll be ready when you see it. Second, soil. And I got to pick up some time here. So, <laughs> it's the shallow emotional heart. That's the one that we see in verse 13. Jesus here was referencing how the topography over in Galilee, uh, it, it had, there's a lot of limestone shale that goes underneath the surface. So, you got dirt that's about... 
I don't know, an inch or two deep, but then it's just bedrock all around. You can't farm on that land, obviously. But what Jesus was saying is, here's the interesting thing. A seed can fall on that little thin soil and it can actually get enough to germinate and to start to sprout. The problem is when the summer sun arrives, the moisture's gone, the roots go trying to get deeper. I need more, I need more. And they hit the bedrock and they die. And that's the end of it. It flamed out really fast. He said, and you're gonna find some hearts that do that as well. That's, that's the shallow emotional soil. When I think of that, I, I think of a conversation that I had with, with uh, Ben Stewart 20 years and more ago when he was our youth pastor here. And I remember him saying, you know, the interesting thing I've noticed is that you can take a bunch of kids on a, uh, on a couple of buses and you can create a, a camp week for them with great music and inspiring talks and fantastic activities and, and they're having a time in their life. You've got them out of their family systems, out of their other friendship circles. They're feeling the love of Jesus. They're hearing about Jesus. Even people that didn't want to come but their mom signed them up, they're still, it's like, this isn't so bad after all. And you get to the end of the week and that last night he said, you know, it's very tempting. It's very tempting because they're worn down, they're emotional, they're exhausted to say on the last night, now, if you want to come and follow Jesus with all of your life, you come down and you stand with me, and they will do it. The problem is, he said, I just am seeing it's not real. It's just an emotional response. And all you have to do to check it out is put them back in the system. A couple weeks later, school starts. They're back with old friends. One of them says, hey, you didn't by chance become a Jesus freak this summer. And that poor kid is like, huh? No, no, not me. Same old person. And it just dies out. It's just a passing phase. And that's why, incidentally, uh, over the years to come, we, we moved away from the camp experience and we moved into what we call the Mission Road, which is a lengthier, ongoing, deeper experience where we're creating a lot of meaningful uh, opportunities for a lot of kids that isn't playing so much to the emotions, but is getting down to the roots. Because no roots, no fruits. That's what Jesus was saying here in the second soil. <clears throat> and so uh, Jesus had to deal with the shallow uh, people as well. Some would come rushing up and say, hey, 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 I want to be on team Jesus. And he'd like, whoa, 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 slow down, mister. Foxes have holes and birds have nests to live in. But you follow me? There's no guarantees. Son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. You better really count the cost. Don't just come whirling in here like a dervish full of emotion. I want you, but I don't want just emotionalism. Come really follow me. So make sure, he says, make sure you're counting that cost. 
Let's move to the third soil. That's the divided, cluttered heart. You see that in verse 14. Here the soil does, here the seed does get down into the soil and the roots are getting going. The problem is it's not a well-tended garden and there's thorns and weeds everywhere. And, and what happens with weeds? Weeds always win. Why? Because weeds always suck the nutrients out and the good guys can't ever get the nutrients. And actually, when you think about it, it's biblical. Just go back to Genesis chapter 3, 17. That's where the weeds came after the fall. And ever since then, the weeds always win. And Jesus was saying in a very real way, there's weeds of this world that will gladly grab hold and snuff the life out of somebody who might have been coming our way. What are those weeds? He mentions three. The pleasures of life, the cares of this world, or the worries of this world, and riches. And you know what all three have in common? They're great seducers. They're just seducing us to, to, to come their way. When I think of the weeds, the seducers, I think of a guy who I'll call Greg. He came to the church up in the woodlands where I was a young pastor before, before ever doing faith, starting Faith Bridge. I was in charge of, a, of having a young adult ministry. And I remember the night he came to the Bible study and he bounded in full of charisma, big personality, hearty laugh. And I remember watching him work the room thinking, man, this guy is gonna be a leader. What he didn't yet realize, but I would soon discover, is he had a lot of the world still uh, intertwined in his heart. He loved, that boy, he loved to drink. And cocaine sometimes. And you'd always know because bloodshot eyes and weird dilations. And, and uh, oh, he smelled like cigarette smoke. You kind of, whoo, scoot back just a little bit. But, and... Um, he, he had a lot of the world going along in his life. But I really, I enjoyed him. I always enjoyed when he would come. He'd even participate. He, he would have some good insights about the Bible study. Occasionally, he'd even pray out loud. And I was like, okay, we're making some progress. But he'd always then kind of fall out for a while and he was kind of doing all this other stuff finally I took him to lunch one day and I, 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 I just said Craig you know I love you he said I know that man I love you too he said you I like when you're around you I like your energy I like your laugh I like I just I look at you and you have so much potential for God but you don't ever use it for God. I just see what you could be for God if you'd really give your heart to him and you just come after him. Man, people would want to know what is going on inside of Greg. I want you to follow him. What could I do to help you? I remember he... He kind of, he a little tear at me. He's like, again, you are really a good guy. But I'm just going to give it to you straight, man. 
I like my life the way it is. I, I want to want what you're talking about, but I just, I don't. And so, I don't want to disappoint you, but I don't want to lie either. I said, well, I appreciate that. He still came sometimes, and occasionally he'd wink and say, hey, I prayed that sinner's prayer. I'm hoping maybe that one cut it. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) But the offer stands. I'd love to take a journey with you and help you if you'd be ready. Finally, we kind of fell out of touch. When I think of that third soil, I always think of Greg. I also think of a lot of people who live in the suburbs. See, the interesting thing about Greg was he didn't have a hard heart. He had a tender heart. He didn't even have a shallow heart. He, he comprehended, I mean, he could, he could explain the gospel to you. And he, 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 he got it. He just had a very distracted, divided, cluttered heart. And that's my biggest concern of a lot of people I know in the suburbs. Because the suburbs have a lot of weeds. <laughs> Not just literally. <laughs> Spiritually, metaphorically speaking. And suburban people have a lot of options because suburban people tend to have a little extra money and money equals options and seductions and so as we go through i just i just ask you to to take the the heart test and say to the lord silently search my heart and show me if there's any wicked way in me Last of all, fourthly, you get to the, to the final soil. And, uh, oh, you know, I was, I was going to mention, you know, there is a great biblical example, and that's Demas. If you read in 2 Timothy, Paul was writing to Timothy, um, and he said, Demas has deserted me. Why? Because he loved the things of this present life more. It's like the third soil. Now let's talk about the fourth one, the receptive, genuine heart. Jesus says this is the heart that's going to take root. It's going to go strong. It's going to bear fruit a hundredfold. And that's a pretty awesome thing because a Palestinian and Palestinian agriculture, if a crop bore tenfold, that was considered a fantastic year. Jesus was saying, you let the seed of the God, you let my word get into you and pow, the things that I will do in your life. So how do we apply this text? In addition to putting ourselves on the table and saying, Lord, search my heart. Make sure that I'm not trying to fool others or fool myself or fool you. Because sometimes things beneath the surface can be maybe not as healthy as they appear on the surface. But how do we apply it? Uh, Well, let's talk about some things let's not do. 
uh, the temptation when you hear a sermon like this is to say, you know what? I'm thinking of this person and this person. I need to go and tell them you are not bearing enough fruit. All right? He doesn't need you to be his fruit inspector. That's not God's call on your life. God evaluates the fruit. So strike that off. You don't need to go and have that conversation. Nor if you're tempted to say, you know what? I need to go do some good things. I need, you know, I think I will bring my, grab, my bag of groceries here next under the next and fill it extra full for the poor people because I, I need a little bit more fruit. Now, see, that's as silly a train of thought as taking a crate of apples out to a barren tree with a roll of duct tape and say, I'm just going to tape them up. That doesn't make the tree fruitful at all. It's not an outside-in thing that God does. It's an inside-out thing that the Lord does. And so what do we do to give him access to the garden of our hearts, to let him till the soil in our souls? Three things, briefly. Surrender. That's the first thing. It all begins with just our willingness to surrender and to say, God, I am surrendering my life to you. I'm asking you to come in. You take the steering wheel. I'll move over and I'll quit pretending like you're driving when I know I really am. Surrender it to his power. Soak in his word. There's nothing that fertilizes the garden of our soul like God's word. Spend a little time in it every day. Get on a little Bible reading plan where you can read the words of God and get a little journal and write down some things that you are noticing and God's saying to you that you can apply in your life. Soak in his word. And thirdly, step into community. Why step into community? Here's why. I have never met a thriving, multiplying, vibrant, healthy believer who did life in isolation. We said it last week. The devil gets you singled out. He'll get you picked off. We're created for community. And the way the body of Christ works best is once our soil is being tilled by the Lord and something starting to happen. You put us in with some other people. We can encourage one another. We can correct one another. We can speak truth to one another. We can be for one another who Christ calls us to be as his new community, the church. And that's why, incidentally, we have the, the expo that right here in a minute, that I now want you to go to it. Because, see, I can't pick you up and take you there. All I can do is explain how the hearts work and say, here's the path. But our staff has worked hard to do everything that we can. But now you have to take the step and say, I'm going to go. I'm actually going to, and I'm going to try this group or that class. I'm going to step in and I'm going to move towards some people and see what God starts to do in the soil of my soul. That's what Arlene did a little more than a year ago. Um, and she tells the story very winsomely. Take a look as we listen to her. My name is Arlene Courtney. My husband's name is John. 
We'll be married 50 years in July. I think the pandemic, you know, we were at home a lot <laughs> by ourselves. Grandkids are away at college. We had somewhat gotten away from church. And so we both felt like we needed something more. And we felt like we needed to find a church that we both felt comfortable in. When we visited, we had such a great experience that we wanted to come back. And we started coming and getting engaged. I remember Ken saying one Sunday, your, your to-do this, this next week is to reach out and talk about God to someone else. When Ken gave that, that message, I was like, oh my God, I mean, I, I'm not kidding you. It just hit me. And I was like, I told my husband, he said, really? I said, John, I just feel like it's inside me, like I need to do something. So I started talking to a couple of my neighbors. I started talking more about God. I even had a neighbor tell me that for the first time that I was bringing up God more in my conversations. I started doing on the greet team, the welcome team on, sun, on third Sunday. My husband started ushering. My husband joined a men's Bible group. He has never been in a men's Bible group on Wednesday nights. He loves it. I joined the table in the fall. John and I started, we're, we were praying together and we talk about what we're learning in our Bible studies. And so I think it's bringing us closer together. I went to my very first Renew in the fall and I invited a couple of my neighbors and we thoroughly enjoyed it. When I looked around the room and saw all these women, it was, it was just overwhelming. It was, it was great. So I was asked to host a table. I've never done that before. And so I had already invited two of my neighbors. One had been coming to church, but she hasn't been coming for a while. And the other one is not attending any church. And then I invited somebody from my Bible, my Bible study, and she said she'd come. But the most amazing thing that happened, I, I was just, I've been just floored. I ran into a person that I used to work with at my company before I retired. I hadn't seen her in many years. And she comes here. And then I ran into another person who I haven't seen her in several years, and she was two of my children's kindergarten teacher. And they both ended up sitting at my table and they invited two more people. So we had a full table and it was the, the, the exchange of, of information. And when we had our conversation after the speaker, it was wonderful. And everybody spoke up and we had a really good discussion. And it was such a, it, I think the word is community. It was such a, a warmth and friendliness. I cannot believe in the few months I've been here, how many people now I know and will say hi to me when I come into church. It is such a great feeling. It's a warmth. It's a, I feel like the Lord is really working here. And my husband and I, we feel so comfortable here. And I would encourage anyone that's visiting here for the first time, come a few times and you're gonna be amazed at the experience that you're gonna have, not only getting close to the Lord, but with the people around you. Yeah, that's a sweet. Friends, that's what I want for you. Um, because I want for your heart to be the fourth heart, the receptive heart, the heart that he's working in and is growing and bearing fruit. And that's what he wants for you as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the 
the love that you have for us, the grace that you show to us, and the truth that you give to us. This is one of those passages that's it's full of truth. And it requires us to do a little introspection and precludes us from just glossing over it. Forgive us for the times that we've deluded ourselves, fooled ourselves. <laughs> Even as physically speaking, I charged into January 15th, 2015, thinking everything is just great when it wasn't. But I don't want anyone to have that situation, spiritually speaking. And so I pray that you would do a work in our lives, stir us up and chop up the rocky soil and pull out the weeds and give us grace to give our all to you so that we might experience fruit coming forth from our lives for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name.